And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What is our vision as a church? If the barge is your church, hopefully you know the barge vision, the barge mission statement off by hand, off by heart and could say it with me now. I won't pick on anyone, but our mission statement is there inside your sheets. Or if you've got these little cards in your service sheet, it's got a picture of the vision statement on one side and it's got um, the sentence on the back. So our mission statement, why don't we say this all together, that Docklanders are delivered from death in the domain of darkness for life and growth in the kingdom of Christ. Do learn it by heart. Stick this on your fridge. That's our business. Okay, that's what we're here for as a church. But how is this going to happen? So how is this vision going to become reality? What is required? Is the key thing that we uh, now have some sort of detailed strategy document or business plan? That could be quite useful. Or is the key thing we need now a bigger venue? That would be nice. That would definitely be helpful. But what we need above all else, we find in this passage I just read. So Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Because here, here Jesus shows us, here Jesus tells us what we need. And so as we begin a new term and indeed a new year in our church life together, we tend to run September to August. This is a great passage for us to reflect on together. I wonder how you would say you relate at the moment to this barge vision, this barge mission statement. Some here will be fully behind it already. You own it. You're actively pursuing it. That's great. Uh, But maybe you're feeling a bit weary. Maybe you're feeling a bit discouraged. End of the summer, a bit daunted as we begin a new year in church life together. This passage will encourage us for the year ahead. But for others here, your response at the moment to this vision may be, good luck with that. You know, I wish you all the best with that. Now, that is fine if you're just a visitor here today or if you're someone who's exploring the Christian claims. Um, Keep listening, though. There's plenty in this talk for you. But if you're a believer, if you consider the barge to be your church, this passage will challenge you and hopefully inspire you to get on board with the vision, to get involved, and to see that you have an important and an exciting part to play in this. So, what do we need to turn this vision into reality? First thing you'll see we need on the outline there is we need compassion. We need to be filled with compassion as Jesus was. So, if you've got the passage open on page 982... The passage begins with Jesus hard at work. So verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. He's up in Galilee. He's in the north of the country. 
He's going through all the cities and villages. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that apparently there were 204 of them. So he's got his work cut out, lot to get around. But Jesus is hard at it. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's getting the good news out to as many people as possible. Relentless, committed gospel work. Why? What was driving him? What was motivating? What was keeping him at, at it? And the answer the passage gives is compassion. So verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. So seeing the crowds, Jesus was filled with compassion. What is compassion? Dictionary definition goes as follows. It is pity inclining one to help or be merciful. Pity inclining one to be help, uh, to help or to be merciful. So compassion is basically when you feel sorrow for somebody else because of their condition, and this moves you to do something. It moves you to help, to take action. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he was filled with compassion. He was filled with pity, with sorrow, and that moved him to help them by proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing their diseases. Compassion. The compassion of Jesus is mentioned on uh, a number of occasions in Matthew's gospel. I put the references at the bottom there in the footnote. 14.14 says, when he went ashore, he saw a great compound, uh, a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Or 15.32, Jesus said, I have compassion on the crowd. Or 20.34, Jesus in pity, compassion, same word, he touched their eyes. If we are going to be committed to gospel work as Jesus was, we need the compassion for people that Jesus had. We're going to be committed to gospel work as Jesus was. We need the compassion for people that Jesus had. That is the starting point. And so a question to ask ourselves is, what is my attitude to people at the moment? I think that's where this passage encourages us to begin, uh, to search our hearts. What is my basic attitude to people around me? People in the world around. So the crowds of people here in the Docklands... Uh, my neighbours, my colleagues, the social groups I move in, what's my basic attitude? Is it compassion or is it maybe something else? As we see people out and about living their lives, doing their thing, what is our basic emotional response? So is it compassion or is it maybe something less commendable? We will not be committed to gospel work, we will not be committed to the barge vision, if our basic response to the world around is one of the, uh, the sort of ugly sisters, we can call them that, listed on the outline. Let's just run through them. Firstly, disgust. This is when we are shocked and appalled by the immorality of the world around us. How do you feel, how do you feel deep down when you see the gay pride march going past with some of the outrageous outfits and maybe provocative behavior. 
Or when people in the office tomorrow morning are talking about their, their drunken night out and their visit to the strip club. Or when you go past a parked car full of teenagers doing drugs, dumping their rubbish on the pavement, you know, two metres from a bin. Do we just feel disgusted? Do we just condemn people in our hearts? Are we just filled with moral outrage? Now, the behaviour of people around us may stir up all sorts of emotions in us. When Lot lived in Sodom, we read, this is in 2 Peter 2, we read that he was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds. And so the conduct of others in the world around may cause us distress. But if we're like Jesus, our fundamental response should be compassion. And it's striking that Jesus' moral outrage was never directed at the crowds, but rather it was directed at the religious leaders, the hypocritical religious leaders. But for the crowds, invariably, Jesus was filled with compassion. Now, he, he didn't condone their sinful ways. He did call them to repent, but he had compassion on them. Another response to the world around us, which, which kills off any motivation for gospel work, is smugness. Uh, smugness is when we feel morally superior to other people, and we feel condescending. Very easy to fall into that. To look down our noses at those who, who fill their lives with retail therapy and consumerism. Or people who live for work and career and money. People whose identity is tied to the, the car they drive or the job they do. People for whom sport seems a matter of life and death. People who are investing their lives in things of no eternal significance. Very easy, isn't it, just to shake our heads and to sneer and to dismiss it as, it's so pathetic. But instead, Jesus was filled with compassion. Another wrong response is apathy. And apathy is when we're, we're just not interested, we can't be bothered. And sometimes we can be so absorbed in our own lives that we just don't care. Or we feel, look, I, just, I do not have the bandwidth to look beyond my own life or my own family. I've got enough on my plate just keeping my own head above water. You know, perhaps sometime in the future, when life is less, less busy, then I can give some thought to the world around me. But for now, I just need to focus on me, on myself. I'm not bothered about the world out there. It's just as well, isn't it, that Jesus didn't have that attitude to us, that Jesus didn't say, well, the world can go to hell for all I care. Instead, he was filled with compassion. And a final response we may sometimes tend towards is, perhaps surprisingly, envy. So looking at people around us, we may actually envy them. We may think, well, do you know what? Actually, they seem to be having a great time of it. They seem to be doing very well, thank you very much. You know, their lives seem to be sorted. They seem to be doing better than I am in many ways. 
The psalmist could identify with that response. So Psalm 73, verse 3, the psalmist writes, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But Jesus wasn't envious of the crowds. He was filled with compassion for them. So four wrong responses to people around us. Disgust, smugness, apathy, envy. I wonder if you can relate to any of those. I didn't find this list by reading some book, but from looking in my own heart. That I see these responses in myself. These responses are instinctive, aren't they, to our sinful nature. But when we recognize these responses in ourselves, we need to repent, and we need to ask God for his forgiveness, and we need to ask God to fill us again with his Holy Spirit and with the compassion of Jesus, the compassion of Christ. So then increasingly, his response would be our response to the world around us. Because this kind of compassion is the fuel on which gospel work runs. This kind of compassion is what moves us to be committed to a gospel vision, as Jesus was. So, we need compassion, but where do we get it? Where do we find it? Well, why did Jesus feel such compassion for the crowds around him? And the answer in the passage is, it was because he saw their need. That's our second point. We are to be filled with compassion because we are surrounded by need. So have a look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So the compassion Jesus felt was aroused by the need which Jesus saw. We read here that the people were harassed. And the word there means troubled, bothered, could mean bullied, can mean oppressed. And it says they were helpless. This means they were unable to help themselves. They were powerless to change. Now, some of the people in the crowds had very obvious needs, didn't they? So, verse 35 says that Jesus was healing every disease and every affliction. Because of his power to heal, Jesus was a magnet for the sick. And back in chapter 4, verse 24, it describes how the people brought to him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. So he was a magnet for these kind of people because living in a, a society without a welfare system, these kind of people would have been especially harassed, especially helpless, but they weren't the only ones. This seems to be a description of people in general. Even those who weren't sick in the ways just listed. So harassed and helpless describes the spiritual condition of all people apart from Christ. So as we had in our vision statement, in the domain of darkness, ruled over by the devil, enslaved to sin, under God's wrath, heading for death and judgment, powerless to save ourselves, that is the human condition. 
And so Jesus saw beyond the immediate physical needs of some to the deeper spiritual needs of everybody. I went into uh, Tesco Express the other day. Inside were well-dressed people filling their baskets with lots of food and wine and so on. And outside on the pavement, by the entrance, there was sitting a guy with a cap with some change in it asking for help. Who deserves our compassion? Who has the need? Well, the guy begging on the street outside has very obvious material needs, and we should have compassion on someone like that, and we should seek to help. But the others in the shop, they have exactly the same spiritual need as the guy outside. Exactly the same spiritual need. So spiritually, the people in the shop, they too are harassed and helpless, and they too need our compassion. They need our help. It says here they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The crowds had no one to lead them the right way. They just had bad leaders who led them astray. And so they were wandering off like lost sheep, exposed, helpless in the face of the attacks of enemy wolves and wild dogs. And so today, so today, apart from Christ, all of us are like sheep without a shepherd, lost sheep. We don't know where we're going in life. We don't have any ultimate direction clueless about the true purpose of life, the true meaning of life, and at the mercy of the devil and spiritual forces of evil. When Jesus saw the crowds, this is what he saw. He saw people who were harassed and helpless and like sheep without a shepherd. And this is what moved him to compassion. Because he saw people's true state. He he saw their, their real condition. Now, you may be someone who could identify with this yourself, that you recognize yourself this morning, that this is your condition. It's a description of you, that although maybe you appear sorted to other people, you know that spiritually you are harassed and helpless, and you're like a sheep without a shepherd. Well, if so, be encouraged that if you come to Jesus, you won't be met with judgment, you won't be met met with condemnation, but with compassion. He won't turn you away. He will welcome you. And if we're those who have already come to Jesus and we have received his mercy, we need to see other people as Jesus saw them. We need to see them through his eyes. We need, if you like, to put our Jesus specs on. And then we should start to feel something of the compassion that Jesus felt and we will act as Jesus did will be committed to proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and reaching out to help people. If my default attitude to others at the moment is one of disgust at their immoral living, I need God to open my eyes to people's spiritual condition. Why do people get drunk and take drugs? Why are they sexually immoral? Because they're spiritually harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So by nature, we are slaves to sin. 
Now, that doesn't excuse how people behave, but it helps us understand a bit, doesn't it, why people behave the way they do. And apart from Christ, we would be no different. Jesus didn't come to judge people. He didn't come to condemn people. He came to save them. If my default attitude to others at the moment is one of smugness, I need God to open my eyes to people's spiritual condition. Yes, people are investing their lives of things in things of no ultimate significance. And yes, people are making idols of money and work and family. And yes, the philosophies and the spiritual solutions that they've turned to are ridiculous. But why are people doing that? Because they're harassed and they're helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know any better. They're without God and without hope in the world. What do we expect them to do? Just lie down and give up? I mean, some people do, but most people will try to fill the spiritual void with something else. And if my default attitude to others at the moment is one of apathy or envy, I need God to open my eyes to people's spiritual condition. That apart from Christ, people are without God and without hope in the world. They're enslaved to sin. They're under God's wrath. They're heading for God's judgment, unprepared. However sorted people may appear, however good their life may look, the reality is that spiritually, we are by nature harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Next time we see a crowd of people in the wharf, in the pub, at work, on the tube, Next time we're out with a group of friends, next time we see a load of neighbours, what do we actually see? We need to look beneath the surface, we need to see with spiritual eyes people as Jesus saw them. We need to put our Jesus specs on. The theologian Don Carson gives an example um, from his early days in church work. He says it was slow work, it was discouraging work. And uh, Ken, the church pastor who was supervising him, so I think Don Carson was a sort of associate pastor at the time, like Callum. So Ken, the sort of uh, the senior pastor who was supervising him, he suggested one evening, look, why don't we go for a swim in a lake some 40 miles away? Kind of obviously lived in a nicer area than we do here to get away to some nice lake to go for a swim. This sort of idyllic spot where there was a raft out in the lake and you could swim out to it. And so... They get to this place, but when they got, when they arrived to Carson's horror, he found that the beach was covered with hundreds of teenagers having a noisy party. And they were celebrating high school graduation. And so he, he turned to his pastor to vent his frustration. But then he said he stopped as he saw this pastor Ken staring at this scene with a faraway look in his eyes. And the pastor Ken said rather softly, high school kids, what a mission field. (laughs) And Carson writes, in one sense, he had seen and heard exactly what I did. And in in another sense, we had not seen and heard the same things at all. He says the difference was not in the objective reality, but in his compassion. And I had much to learn. Pastor Ken saw what Jesus saw. 
and that is a mission field, a gospel opportunity, a potential spiritual harvest. But that requires workers who will take the the gospel out, which brings us to our last point, sent out as workers. Jesus' compassion expressed itself in action. So verse 35, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. The gospel is the solution to people's need. And so compassion sends us out as gospel workers. And there's a desperate need for more gospel workers. So verse 37, Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the workers, are few. So first he says, the harvest is plentiful. When Jesus sees the crowds of people, he sees fields that are ripe for harvest. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that lots of people would accept the gospel if they heard it. Elsewhere, Jesus talks about sowing the seed of the gospel, but here he's talking about harvesting, so reaping the fruit. So this is picturing people not just hearing the gospel, but people being saved, people receiving eternal life, people becoming disciples. Jesus uses the same metaphor in John 4.35. So do you remember that instant where Jesus talks with the Samaritan woman? And then the crowd starts streaming out from the, the town towards him. And as they approached, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Now, isn't that encouraging? Isn't that a hugely encouraging perspective? I take it that what Jesus said about the crowds back then, he would say about the crowds today. Here in London, here in this Docklands area, here in Canary Wharf, I take it Jesus would say, the harvest is plentiful. Our assumption tends to be the opposite, doesn't it? So our our assumption tends to be no one's going to be interested. Or, you know, very, very few people would be interested. But Jesus says, no, the harvest is plentiful. People are harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. The gospel is the solution to their need. And the potential spiritual harvest is huge. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is there in verse 37. The harvest is plentiful, but what's the problem? The laborers are few. Notice the contrast. That's where the blockage is. What is needed is more workers to go out and bring the harvest in. What is needed is more laborers in the harvest field. So Jesus was going around non-stop around these cities and villages of Galilee. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. There were crowds of people. Such a potential harvest. But there were not enough workers. It was too much, even for Jesus, too much for Jesus to reap. More workers were needed. And so straight after this, what happens in chapter 10? Just have a look at it. If you've got the Bible open, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. So 10.5, these 12 Jesus sent out. So overnight, the harvest workforce jumps from one to how many? To 13. 
And in the account in Luke 10, where Jesus makes the same comment about the harvest being plentiful, workers few, Jesus sends out 72 disciples. What was needed back then is what is needed today. More workers. More workers sent out into the harvest field, more gospel workers, so people committed to the vision of getting the gospel out and making disciples. Now, is that you? Are you a gospel worker? Is that how you see yourself? So if I said, I want you all to stand up now, everyone in this room, in the barge, I want you to stand up. If you consider yourself a gospel worker, stand up now. Would you get up? Are you a worker in the spiritual harvest field? What is a gospel worker? Well, it's just someone who's committed to the vision of getting the gospel out and making disciples. Someone playing their part in making that happen. Now, what that part is, is going to vary. So some do gospel work as their job on church staff teams or working for missionary organizations, but the majority of Christians don't. So what does being a harvest worker, a gospel worker, look like for them? Well, it looks like getting on board with the church vision, so using our gifts to serve that vision in all sorts of ways. Uh, Giving money, inviting people, praying. Uh, It looks like sharing the gospel as we have opportunities. It looks like encouraging other believers. It looks like seeing the potential harvest in uh, our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our friendship groups, in our social activities. Seeing ourselves as gospel workers in in all these different contexts. Uh, On the Budge uh, vision picture, it's about looking left and doing what we can to encourage other people to move to the right. That's what it means to be a gospel worker. And maybe having explained it like this, maybe you'd say, well, hey, actually, I think I am already a gospel worker. I'm doing some of that stuff. Although I wouldn't have called myself that before, I think I am a gospel worker. But then again, you may be someone who recognizes that isn't me yet. But God wants all of us, if we're believers, he wants all of us to be gospel workers. Because to come to Christ is to be sent out into the harvest field as laborers. We saw this, didn't we, in our first reading in Matthew 20. That parable Jesus taught about the master of the house and he goes out and he hires laborers for his vineyard and then later in the day he finds some people standing around in the marketplace doing nothing and he says to them, why do you stand here idle all day? You go out into the vineyard too. To come to Jesus is to be hired as a laborer in the gospel vineyard. You may be someone who believes in Jesus, but maybe like the guys in the parable, maybe you're standing idle in the marketplace, spiritually speaking. You know, Maybe you're super busy uh, in life generally and in working life and all the rest of it, but spiritually speaking, you're idle. You're doing nothing in the vineyard. You're inactive in gospel work. Well, Jesus wants to send you into his vineyard to work. And once we get a vision for this, once we get a vision for gospel work, there's no retirement in Christian service. 
There's no unemployment. There's always gospel work to be doing. And it's a wonderful thing to do as well. So investing our lives in this work, which has eternal consequences. Now, there is, there is more to life than gospel work. There's more to life than that. So, as believers, we're not just gospel workers. We are, first and foremost, worshippers. Worshippers of God. Living our whole lives for God. Seeking to love him, to love others, at work, at home, in our personal lives. Not all of that is gospel work. But being workers in the harvest is an important role we all have as believers. And so, in every context in our lives, we should think of ourselves as gospel workers in every context. So we're more than that, but we're not less than that. So as we close, what is the next step? Well, perhaps not the one we would have expected, but it is to pray. The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Verse 38, therefore, Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. We are to pray earnestly. Lord, it's your harvest. Please send out workers into the harvest field and start with me. Start with me. So, As the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, he said, the Lord said, who's going to go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. For some of us, uh, the Lord may send you out to do gospel work as your job. That may be appropriate for some here, something to consider. Maybe in the UK, maybe in another country. For others, the Lord may send you back into your workplace and into your apartment block and into your friendship groups and your Zumba class or whatever you do with a new perspective, a new vision, a new compassion. So seeing people as Jesus sees them with Jesus' specs on. Seeing their need, filled with compassion, and determined to reach them with the gospel. For some, the Lord may send you back into this church family with a new perspective, a new commitment to the vision, and doing what you can to help make it happen. And for those who are already doing that, perhaps with a renewed desire to encourage others to become gospel workers as well. The spiritual need of people is huge. Let's pray for the compassion of Jesus to see that. The potential harvest is huge. Let's pray for more workers to be sent out, beginning with ourselves. Well, let's pause to pray that in the quietness of our own minds and hearts, and then we'll join in together in prayer after that.